Well, good morning. Thanks for having me here. It's been a few years, I think. It's definitely been a couple of years, at least, since I was um, last here. So I'll try and behave myself this time. Maybe I'll be a, I'll get a six-month call back or something. Well, if you've got a Bible with you, um, you open it, please, to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. A, I know there are Bibles in the, in the pews here. If you haven't brought a Bible with you, it's going to be helpful to you to have a Bible with you since most of what I'm going to be saying is from the Bible. Um, you know, um, our country is um, in a bit of a, a spiritual mess, isn't it? And, um, you know, when I visit uh, areas in Scotland, when I, when I go and see various schemes now, and, and I've been to see maybe 20 or 30 over the last 18 months, it is just never um, ceases to amaze me, to sadden me, just about the complete lack of biblical literacy there is um, in our country. Lots and lots of people have absolutely no clue in this land uh, about Jesus. Not the foggiest. Uh, haven't got a clue. If you told them to open a Bible and say John 18, they wouldn't know what you're talking about. Uh, there's just confusion everywhere, just a mishmash of spirituality, and a, it's just a mishmash of everything. And, and the problem probably wouldn't be so bad if the church wasn't in such a mess today either. Let me read to you something I read from a Scottish church leader about Jesus. He says this, Jesus was crushed like a rag doll in the wheels of history. Jesus was a man who died in confusion and despair. That's a church leader in Scotland. And so no wonder we've got problems. If we can't get that right, what hope is there for dudes on the street like us? And the the, the many people in our country just completely lost. And that's what a lot of people think about Jesus, you know. Okay, maybe he existed, but so what? Who knows what the Bible teaches about him? Who cares what the Bible teaches about him? You've got guys who think, well, he was just some, you know, crazy religious dude who, you know, messed the Romans about and so they crucified him. And then you've got church leaders saying, well, do you know what? He sort of died in despair, really. Bit of a failure, Jesus. So I I, I want to go to the Bible because the Bible tends to be a bit more... uh, bit more trustworthy than the Scottish Herald uh, when it comes to Jesus. Just a bit of advice for you there. Um, Why don't we read? We're going to read some verses together. Before we do that, this is the Word of God. This isn't a newspaper, this isn't in a comic book. This is God's Word given to us, breathed out for us. Let's ask him to help us. Let's pray. Although we love you, what beautiful words were just sung there. What a beautiful testimony. What beautiful testimonies there are in this building that have not been spoken this morning. And what a beautiful word that you have given to us. And we pray now that we need your help. We need the precious promised help of your Holy Spirit, Father, to give us understanding and insight, Lord. Uh, Help us to listen. Give us understanding, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read what John says about the death of Jesus. Let's see if Jesus did die in in desperation. 
John 18, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? This is God's word. Amen. So I've got, you know, I haven't got a sexy PowerPoint and three super duper headings uh, today. I just want us to walk simply through John's account of what happens to Jesus Christ in the events leading uh, up to his arrest. And the first thing I want us to notice in, in, in this chapter, in the few verses that we've read, is Jesus, uh, when he was arrested, Jesus wasn't caught on the hop by the authorities. It wasn't this great big manhunt, and he was found and cornered and trapped in the garden. Just remind ourselves of the verses. He, he goes, verse 1 and 2, he goes, he speaks, he goes across to this garden. His disciples enter verse 2. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. Well, why did, why did Judas know the place? Well, John tells us, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Jesus, when we get to John chapter 18 and the arrest of Jesus, Jesus is not in hiding. That's the first thing we need to realize there. Jesus is in his regular hangout joint. He's where he always went to hang out with these dudes. Okay? He knew, we know, he knew his hour had come. We, uh, if you know anything about John's gospel, and I think you went through it a while ago, you would know that phrase, his hour had come, is a key phrase in uh, John's gospel all the way through up to chapter 18 we read time and again the authorities try to capture him or, or they try to stone him but time and again we read John saying but his hour had not yet come but now Jesus knows in 18 his hour is almost upon him and so what does Jesus do when this hour is upon him well Jesus goes where he always went Jesus wasn't a dumb person by the way Jesus was smart If Jesus wanted to have evaded and avoided capture, Jesus would have gone somewhere else. Now, um, it's good advice in Nidri. I'm not sure how good advice this illustration is going to be in Charlotte Chapel, but you never know. We get crooks in suits, as we all know. Um, if, If you're a banker and it all goes heads up, listen up. The best place for you to go on the run, here's some advice. If you ever need to go on the run from the police... Don't go to your mum's house. That's advice number one. They always go to your mother's. And there's probably a few coppers out here going, yes, we do. 
Don't go to your friend's house. Don't go to your neighbor's house. Don't go to the pub you usually hang out with, with all your pals. When you go on the run from the police, you go into hiding. That's the object. But not Jesus. Jesus isn't on the run. Jesus isn't looking for a way out. Jesus isn't cornered in this text. Jesus is where he always went to. Now you think that's an incidental point. Why make a big issue of that? Well, John is included this in this text because he wants us to understand the leading up and building up to the crucifixion. He didn't, Jesus didn't go kicking and screaming to the cross. Nor was he arrested by accident. He went where he always went. And so when Jesus, uh, Judas comes to him, Jesus isn't caught out. And, and John wants us to know this. If you flick back a few chapters into John chapter 10 and verse 14, we'll read these words. Jesus speaking to um, uh, the, the disciples. He's saying, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for my sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me. Here we go. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Verse 18. Stronger. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority, he says. He goes on to say, to do this from my father. So what Jesus is about to do from John chapter 18 onward, Jesus is about to do willingly. Jesus is about to do in full knowledge. John wants us to know there's no confusion here. There's no surprise. Jesus isn't caught on the hop looking for a way out. And the New Testament, the first New Testament preachers knew that. Just jumping forward a couple of pages in Acts 2. One of the first ever sermons, famous words, uh, Acts 2.22, men of Israel he, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. Here's the rub, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. No accidents. No accidents. John is he's desperate for us to know this. Let me just read just a couple more verses. We won't, we won't jump around so much in a minute, but John chapter 6, verse 70. Even Jesus talking again to his disciples, and he says, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So in between chapter 6, we find ourselves arriving at verse 18. He knew before Judas did what was going to happen in this garden. So when we get to John 18, in effect, Judas arrives at the garden bang on time. That's what's going on. And look at verse 3, look how they come for him. Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So this is a mob. They weren't coming to have a polite discussion over theological differences. This is what you call a snatch and grab job. At night, in a quiet place, away from the crowds who loved him. And so in one sense, when you read this text without this understanding, it looks like it's all on top for Jesus. 
Here he is, about to be swept away by all these forces outside of his control. As he's cornered in this garden, about to be wrongly arrested and locked up. That's what's happening. They sweep in, there's mobs of them. Armed, torches, lanterns, it's all on top. Judas is there, he's about to stitch his pal up. What's going to happen? But you see, John John 18 doesn't quite go like that. Because look what happens in verse 4. Jesus, listen to the next word, knowing all that would happen, what does he do? He comes forward, he says to them, whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Of course, Jesus knew who they were looking for. I am he, he says to them, literally, the holy, unspoken name of God. He says, literally in this text, I am. Well, Exodus, Exodus 3 verse 14 gives us that language when God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. Uh, Israelites I am has sent me to you. The one and only holy name of God. Used in, 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 again in John 8, 58. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. So here we have Jesus in front of this mob in the garden, deliberately taking on the holy, unspoken name of God himself on purpose. So even in that verse, even let's just stop reading the Bible here. Jesus, at that moment in time, claims what no other religious leader in the world has ever said. You see, all the religious leaders in the world, all the prophets in the world, all these you know, dudes wandering around wearing skirts in the world, all these dudes, all these dudes, they claim how to know the truth. They claim how to know how to get to the truth. They claim to tell you how, they, how we should live, but not Jesus. Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus isn't some guru. Jesus didn't come down to show us how uh, to find God. Jesus says, I am God, come to find you. That's the difference, you see. And it's a big difference. And it makes all the difference when you hear all this junk spouted all over the place. All religions lead to God. We're all the same. We're not the same. And in that moment, every single person in that garden knew they weren't the same. So you either love Jesus, you hate Jesus, you cannot respect Jesus. Can't be done. You can't respect Jesus and not believe in him because Jesus doesn't allow us that option even for those two words, I am. There's no option. Because his claims are outrageous. He's either God or he's not. You can't be indifferent. If we're not bothered about what Jesus says in the Bible, then we've not understood what he's saying to us. You see, we don't get to go home on a Sunday feeling all nice and warm and fuzzy about what the preacher said about Jesus because Jesus doesn't give us that option. So what happens to the guards? Jesus steps forward and says, I am. I am he. What happens? Look at the text. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and, and, and they fell to the ground. So a whole, you know, so there's loads of guys. There's, there's Jewish guys there. There'll be normal guys there. But there are well-trained troops there. Hard men. Some, some dudes, commentators I'm reading, were going, well, you know, they just sort of 
tripped over their shoelaces and it was a bit comical and that. These were, these were dudes. These were hard men. These were men who would do a tour in Afghanistan. The Afghanistan of its day. You didn't get posted to Israel and not be, know what's going on, by the way. These are guys who fall over their shoelaces. I had shoelaces, but you know the point. Hard dudes, armed dudes, well-trained dudes falling over themselves because a little guy shuffles forward and says a couple of words to them. What's going on? Well, do you know what I think is going on? I think that what is going on in this text is just for a split second in time, they get a glimpse of his infinite majesty. I think just in that moment he utters the divine name of God, they get a sense of his supreme holy power. That's what I think is going on. And it sweeps them off their feet. Well, you've got to feel sorry for these dudes. They thought they'd come for an ordinary man. They'd come for God in the flesh. Just being near him as he breathed out his name causes them to fall away. It's the experience of the Bible. Listen to the, listen to the prophet Ezekiel speak when he sees God in a vision in Ezekiel 1.28. He says, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down. And I heard the voice of one speaking. Look how Isaiah reacts when he comes into the presence of God in Isaiah 6. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. In Luke chapter 5, Peter falls at his feet when he realizes just who it is he is with. The point is, time and again in the Bible, nobody stands in the presence of Almighty God. Nobody stands on holy ground. And this is John making a point about Jesus. And this is Jesus making a point about who he, he is. A word bang. He could have swatted all of them. And what you get when you read John 18 is this real sense of his power just simmering beneath the surface. You know, when um, a while back I, um, I went white water rafting, um, do you know, because I'm a warrior. Uh, I'm also stupid because I can't swim. Um, and they wouldn't give me insurance, but I did it anyway. And um, went white rafting, and you know, I didn't know anything about white water rafting. I thought you sit in a boat and you go down a little, you know, river. How hard can it be? And uh, anyway, apparently it was grade five rapids, and I went round this corner, and these two big wave things, uh, I'm so in one with nature, and uh, these wave things, uh, there was ten of us in this big boat, this thing, I came around the corner, this thing, picked the boat up, spun it upside down, sucked me under the water, threw me down an eddy, and about a hundred meters away, in a few seconds, I mean, I was blitzed, I'm like, what happens? Power, force, tell you what, I got back in the boat a little bit different. Yeah, I was grabbing everybody. There's a, there's a spiritual force here, power beyond any of them. 
beyond any of us, beyond me as a preacher to explain to you. But we know this, God is not to be mocked. Those who think we're going to wink and nod our way into heaven are in for a shock. And something else, just, just, just to note, Jesus. Who's in control in this text? It doesn't look like the guy's lying on the floor. Let's put it like that, does it? Jesus is in full control here. Jesus of Nazareth was God come down and this mob arriving like sneaks in the night better know what they're dealing with. You know, they came with overwhelming force on the ground but he shows them in a breath where the true power really lay. Jesus is king, people. I don't care what it looks like. Jesus is king. John says in Revelation 1, And I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and look now. I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. There is a time coming for all of us when we will stand before the king of the universe. And we will go down. We will not stand in the presence of God. We'll not be pals. We're not going to high five our way into heaven. Holy wrath or holy love is going to sweep us off our feet. Who you are, what you've done, where you worshipped, all irrelevant. You'll be on your face in the presence of Almighty God and His holiness will be crushing God is a burning fire the God of scripture he is holiness supreme there will be no negotiating with him on the judgment day you know what's amazing in the face of this mob with just two words Jesus shows he's in control but notice how the in verse 8 how it switches they come making the demands but now who makes the demands in verse 8 Jesus said I told you I am he So if you seek me, let these men go. And then verse 9 points us back to to, to Jesus' prayer of John 6.39 when Jesus said, I shall lose none of all those he's given me but raise them up at the last day. And, and, And the point is Jesus did not lose control even for a second in front of this well trained, well armed mob. He's in charge. Yes, I'll go with you. But... This is what you're going to do first. I think that's hilarious. You can have me. Here's my terms. None of his followers to be harmed. Remember he prays in his high priestly prayer to the Lord in John 17. He says, when I was with them, I protected them. I kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction. Destruction, so that scripture may be fulfilled. Even here, even at this high pressure moment, Jesus keeps his promises to his people. Listen, Jesus can be trusted. The word of Jesus never fails us. Never. When death comes and the judgment comes, Jesus will stand up and speak out in our place if we have placed our confidence and trust in him. The gospel is all over verse 9. All over it. The calm, eternal, almighty king of the universe standing in the gap for his loyal followers. 
as a gospel baby all day long. And what happens to Peter? I love Peter because he's a clown, isn't he, Peter? He, you know, I am just a worse Peter. And Peter, he just misunderstands everything, doesn't he? Peter, he's just like a little Ouija, isn't he, Peter? <laughs> Let's just do him, Jesus. You know, outnumbered, no chance. But you know what? Let's go, baby. Let's have a bash at him. And all that time with the Lord, and that's why I love Peter, because all that time with the Lord, and he just misses the point, doesn't he? Sword out, bosh, let's go. Jesus, <laughs> you know, you can almost sense Jesus going, put your sword away, Peter. <laughs> What's he doing? What's he like, Kim? He's, you know, we read in the other Gospels, Jesus could have called down a swarm of angels. Job done. Good night, see you later. But he doesn't do that. Said he offers to go freely with his men in exchange for his disciples. Let me ask the question again. Does Jesus sound panicked to you here? Does Jesus sound like he's lost the plot? Doesn't sound like it to me. And Peter misses the point, as many do today. And Jesus tells us the point, doesn't he, in verse 11. Here's the point. Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? That's the point. And here we have the cup, Jesus says, is the judgment day thing. It's suffering. It's justice. We know from the Bible that all evildoers will drink from this cup on judgment day. Jesus saying, look, I need to go to the cross. And when I do, I will drink this cup of judgment. I will take it all for you. I will drink it all up for you. I will stand in your place as the full wrath of God is poured out upon me and man that is not popular today is it in huggy tree christian land people don't like that do they let me try and illustrate this point for you you know I served as a missionary in Brazil I had a church in Brazil around going over 10 years ago now and I think when we arrived in Brazil we did our language training in the Amazon jungle not the most hospitable place on planet earth and um, we had two girls still have two girls thankfully they came back with us um one was six months, one was 20 months, because we just like to be crazy. And um, when we got there, my youngest who's here today was uh, desperately ill. I mean, she was so ill, we thought she was going to die. Um, she lost about half her body weight in a couple of days, and it was brutal. And we couldn't get to hospital. We ran the insurance company. They wouldn't in- do anything. Probably had to follow some procedure. I, so we, we, we got in a car, and we went to the nearest hospital, and it was horrendous I mean horrendous I think about four or five people died in the waiting room next to us and we got into this room it was just covered in mold there was blood up the wall the little baby next to us died on the cot Um, she couldn't eat she couldn't drink she couldn't hardly talk these doctors came in when they did come in I couldn't hardly speak much of the lingo shoving needles jabbing them into her I mean I, I was just freaking out I mean freaking out right and um, she was so dehydrated they couldn't find anywhere to stick this needle and the only way they could find in the end was to stick it in the sole of her foot and uh, it was a big needle by the way and, um, but the only way they could do that is if I physically held her down forcefully and so I had to lie on top of her practically while she's screaming and crying and go and in fact, the only word she knows is why daddy well, this guy is jamming a needle 
into the soles of her feet. She was screaming. It was terrible. Now let me tell you something. If you'd have walked into that, that hospital room while I'm lying physically on top of my one-year-old, one-and-a-half-year-old child, crying and screaming while someone is jamming a needle into the sole of her feet, you'd be forgiven for thinking that was a cruel and terrible thing to do. But you see, I had the bigger picture. I knew that without that life-saving medicine, my baby was dead. I knew it. She didn't know it. She didn't have a clue what was going on, but I knew it. And I hated every last second of it, but I knew that I needed to do that to save her life. I knew it. And so the question becomes for, 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 for Jesus is not how could God do that to his perfect son, but why would he do that to his perfect son for rat bags like us? Because that's what's going on here. Jesus, when he goes to the cross to drink the full cup of God's judgment, he's taking the full wrath of God upon himself for sinners like us. And we don't see the big picture. People who complain say, well, that's not fair, that's not just cosmic child abuse. God sees what we do not see. He had to do it. There was no other way to save the souls of lost sinners. That's the good news. It's the heart of the good news. It's the gospel. That's why we should sell all we have and give to the poor. That's why you should keep praying for those you know who are lost. That's why you should serve the Lord with all of your might. That's why you should put up with the snickering and the mocking of friends and work colleagues, whoever wants to have the uh, the crack with you. Jesus is why. The cup was the symbol of God's righteous anger. Sin had to be paid for. Sin still has to be paid for. God is angry at sin. He is angry with sinners. They cannot be in the presence of almighty God. He will not allow it. And so sin and death had to be defeated. Jesus knew it. He knew it. Peter didn't. Peter thought it was all swords and let's go. He thought force would win the battle. He didn't understand. Jesus needed to suffer and die to rescue lost sinners listen to these verses from the bible psalm 75 verse 7 it is god who executes judgment putting down one and lifting up another for in the hand of the lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed and he pours out from it and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs listen to isaiah 51:17 wake yourself Wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. Jeremiah 25, thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath, make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed, listen to this language, because of the sword that I am sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. You know, I like to go on trips with the girls in the car. And I'm a Pepsi Max man, by the way. Just, I like a Pepsi Max. 
And I'm going to have a little drip now while I'm using the illustration. And, um, and the girls were smaller. They're better now. They're smaller. They say, Daddy, can I have a little drink? I said, you can have a little drink. And you pass your Pepsi Max, my Pepsi Max back. Five minutes later, it would come back. About that much left. But there'd be a toy in the bottom. <laughs> Probably, I think, half a biscuit. Don't know how a sausage roll's got in there, but there's a sausage roll in there. And a bit of spittle just dribbling down. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. I mean, real scum. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath and he drank it to the dregs. All of it. All the filth and dirt and dregs and scum. That's the gospel, people. That's the gospel. You see, Peter thinks he's a physical sword. Jesus says, you've got no idea. God's wrath. That's what Jesus took upon himself. That's what faces all unrepentant sinners. Why 20 schemes? Why any church? Look at the scenes of devastation we've seen around the world recently from Japan and the Philippines. And imagine that intensified around the world. Imagine God's wrath poured out on Jesus. Jesus knew in that moment a storm was coming. But why so severe? Well, severe because it needed to be. If you've had a heart attack and your heart stopped and the doctors ask you, do you, know, do you mind if we crack open you know, your partner's chest? Because that's the only option left to us. We're going to say yes. Go. Extreme measures needed to save a life. Extreme measures were needed to save the souls of men, women and children. Jesus drank the full, terrible, scummy, disgusting wrath of God. So do you know something? We never even have to take a sip. Yes. Amen. You better believe amen. That's what gets me to sleep at night. Why do you think Jesus prays in the garden, Luke 22, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. He knew how hard it was going to be. Every sin, a drop, poured into this terrible cup and he got to drink it all. That's why he sweats blood. And he has faced, here's the good news, if you're a Christian here this morning, he has faced what many of us never have to. You go home today, you thank the Lord for that. You thank him again for what Jesus has done on our behalf. But I want to ask you this question. If the perfect, sinless Son of God sweated blood, knowing the full agony of God's wrath to come, what hope do you think you have who face God on your own? Now, we don't like to think of that in our day and age, like a little cuddle with our Christianity I like to think of his love and his kindness and his patience like somehow they're separated some will think he's only angry in the Old Testament he's much happier in the New he, you know, he has a better day and yet the Bible tells me this every single person that I know who is not a Christian is under the wrath of God John 3.36 whoever believes the Son has eternal life whoever rejects the Son 
will not see life. Why not, John? For God's wrath remains on them. Listen. God takes our sin seriously. Doesn't matter where you come from. You can come from Morningside. You can have a bad background in Nidri. God takes our sin seriously. And if you think he doesn't, then you have never understood the cross of Jesus Christ. You have never understood the gospel completely. You have never understood what is happening to Jesus in this text. Of course, the gospel doesn't take away suffering and pain and anguish of the physical world. But you know what? In Jesus Christ, the good news is this, that the suffering of the soul has ended. The fear is gone, put to death with Jesus. The rising of Jesus guarantees that death has lost its sting. We sing, we pray, we worship often in the midst of terrible suffering. Why do we do that? Why can we do that? What's wrong with you Christians? Well, we do it because we know that this is true. We know that Jesus drank this cup. Jesus was crushed like a rag doll in the wheels of history. A man who died in confusion and despair. Give me a break, pal. Here's what Isaiah says. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. What does it all mean? Well, it means forgiveness for that secret abortion. It means forgiveness for that sexual abuse. It means forgiveness for that messy divorce, for not seeing your kids enough, for missing the opportunity to share Christ at work or in uni or or, or wherever you are. It means the strength to carry on when you're going through the mill. It means hope when we feel like we're on our own and where else can I turn to right now? That's what it means. It's the good news. This is good stuff for us. It's heavy stuff, but it's good stuff what saves us and this is your chance to get on the right side of it you can sit here with you know in wonder and awe and praise this morning you can sit here with your head in your hands and wonder what the heck is this little lunatic talking about or you can reach out your hand to Jesus like Stephen did like I have done like many people in this room has done you can stop pretending that your little life is okay Park the show. Because stop lying to yourself that 2014 is going to be your year. Some magical cure for all our spiritual ills are around the corner. You can take the time and get to know this Jesus Christ who took the full cup of God's wrath so we don't have to. Here's the reason we'll all leave this building two stone lighter this morning. Some of us haven't got five stone to lose. Some of us have got a bit more, by the way. You know, Jesus. Man, you've got to love Jesus. Why are you here? What are you looking for? Who are you looking for? Who is it that you seek? If it's Jesus, know this. He is the great I am. He is God. There is no other. He went to the cross willingly to die for sinners, to drink the cup of God's wrath, to pay the full price for sin. And even though you live in sin now, if you are willing, God is willing to accept you into his family if you will turn from that sin and put your faith and trust in him. 
Look, there's two sides in this text. You can stand with Jesus or you can stand with Judas. There isn't a middle ground. Here's a, one last thing, and I'm honestly sitting down now. Here's for the church. Here's a word of encouragement for the church in Scotland in 2014. It may look like the enemies of God have overwhelming force in our country right now. Or it, may, it might look like that on the 10 o'clock news. But you better believe this. There is a bigger, eternal picture that we do not see, that we do not comprehend. Keep sticking with Jesus. He won't let you down. Take your stand with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you.